Well, we are going to get into the sermon this morning. Grab a Bible if you don't have one already. There is one right on the armrest near you. Uh, pull it up on an app. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this Matthew 5 through 7, 107 verses, this brilliant, extensive, extensive teaching by Jesus that's all about life in the kingdom of God, life under the rule and reign of God. And, and we've split that up into three sections. Right now we're in the section on the connected life. And we're talking about significant areas of our relationships that Jesus addresses. And today we come to one of those, which is faithfulness in marriage and faithfulness in our words. And we're going to spend the majority of our time on marriage and divorce at the end. Uh, we'll bring it together with our word and faithfulness in our word, which really ties into marriage and divorce. But as we get into this, we just need to acknowledge that this is a hard subject. Uh, many of us, many of you in this room have been affected by divorce in some capacity. Uh, you come from a divorced home. Your uh, friends have been divorced. You have been divorced in your life. And I, I know for my wife and I, this hits home for us. In our wedding, uh, two couples that participated in our wedding, close friends of ours, are now divorced. My wife and I have been married for 11 years, not that long, and two very close friends, really all of them, the couples themselves, close friends of ours, now divorced within 11 years. And we've seen the devastation of that. You've seen the devastation of that. Some of you have experienced the pain of that, and it doesn't go away, right? You experience it every holiday, every big life event. You experience the consequences, the devastation, the pain of divorce. And you need to hear me now say this. The purpose of this morning, as we look at the words of Jesus, isn't to open up wounds, but to heal those wounds. That Jesus, John 1 says, came in grace and truth, full of grace and truth, right? And as we read Jesus' words, they are full of, of grace and truth for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you in regard to marriage, divorce, even words, Jesus' words are full of grace and truth. And I say all that because I know for some of us that is hard to accept particularly if you've been affected by something like divorce. And so what we typically do as Christians and as the church is we just skip over passages like this, right? Because they are hard to deal with. Or we distort passages like this and we say things like, well, what Jesus really meant to say was, right? This is a sermon by Jesus. I think Jesus was the best preacher of all time, right? I don't need to come along and give a lot of qualifications for Jesus. Amen? Right? We take his, him at his word. He's Jesus, the son of God, and he preaches a sermon in grace and truth to us. And so we don't need to skip it. We don't need to distort it. While some of us want to, even this morning, even in this moment, we're not going to do that. We're going to address it. Uh, something that we say a lot as a church is we want to cover the hard truths of Scripture, but we want to cover them and grace. Right? Hopefully, if you've been here for any length of time, you've experienced that. The reason we do that is because of Jesus, because he came full of grace and truth. So we speak full of grace and truth, right? We, we shouldn't be so lazy as to just go to one or the other or distort or skip. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, I know not everybody in here is one of those, but if you are a Christian, if you call the name of Jesus, 
then we have to to diligently look at the grace and truth in these words and lay our lives and listen, lay our culture and lay our world before his words. And so in this moment, I would just encourage you, whatever your background is, to soften your heart, to open your mind to the words of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. And so that's what we're going to do as we get into this. Are you ready for that? Well, even if you're not, we're going to get into this, okay? Verse 31, look at that verse with me. It says this, Jesus says, it was also said, right off the top, if you're new, Jesus uses this cadence, this rhythm throughout the Sermon on the Mount that it was said, or you have heard it was said, but I say to you. We've talked about that. If you've been here, if you didn't, you can go online and listen to that. It's this cadence, this rhythm that Jesus uses to proclaim his authority, That in this day with the Pharisees, the disciples, the Jewish culture, that many would have leaned on other authorities, traditions, related to the Old Testament law, which some of what he quotes, but it was more about their perceptions of that law, their interpretations of that law. It would be the equivalent of today of, my pappy always said, right? My pastor always said. My professor always says. And maybe those things are based on some sort of truth, but they're their interpretations of that truth, their perceptions of that truth. And so what Jesus is going to do, even in this passage, is he's going to address those perceptions of Old Testament truth about divorce in this case. And he's going to take us to the full intent, the full meaning, the full heart behind these truths. And so remember, if, if you've been here, we've talked about Jesus is not interested in whitewashed tombs, right? He's not just interested in head and hands. He's interested in heart, right? He's not just interested in information and action. He's interested in inclination and transformation. And Jesus is talking to a lot of people, many of them Pharisees, who, who knew the law in their minds, who knew how to do the law with their hands, but there was no inclination or transformation in their heart. And so Jesus is going to pierce right to their hearts and our hearts this morning in this subject of divorce. So look at what he says with me. He says, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, this is the perception, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, the son of God right before you, the God who made the law, I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, First, we need some context on what's going on here in this perception of this Old Testament law. This takes us back to Deuteronomy 24. You can look it up later on your own. But this is where the law about divorce comes from. And what had happened in this day is people used this law to grant virtually any reason as grounds for divorce. In fact, some rabbis, uh, historians will tell us, would even go so far as to say if if your wife or, or your spouse burnt your breakfast... That's a cause for divorce, right? All right, Moses allowed for it. We can get divorced. And so if there's something there that you don't really like or or something that disrupts your marriage, you can get divorced. Again, the equivalent of that today would be if you're unhappy in your marriage, just leave him, right? If you're not getting fulfilled, if he's not serving you and doing his part, you need to end that. You need to find someone who's going to treat you how you deserve it. 
And so they would do that in this day. We do this in our day. We distort this law on divorce. So some distorted, some worked around the law. In this passage, if you look at the text, you see adultery twice here. Uh, but that's not the first time Jesus mention, mentions adultery in this sermon. He, he just got through talking about lust and adultery. And we'll hit that in a few weeks with our guest speaker uh, that we missed a few weeks ago. And so, but he's already been talking about adultery, and he continues to talk about it. And there's a connection there, again, if you look at the context. That some people, as they look to just abide by things with information and action and not inclination and transformation, they would say, well, okay, if it's a, if it's a sin to have an adulterous affair, then maybe I'll just divorce my wife. And then I can just leave her or him and then go do whatever I want to with somebody else. And then it's not adultery, right? And maybe they would look at Deuteronomy 24 and say, well, technically, I can get divorced. And then I'm not committing adultery. It's the best of both worlds, right? And again, as we look at this, I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but you don't need to just think about the Pharisees or the Jewish culture in this day. You need to think about yourself, because we do the exact same thing. Maybe some of you already, as we talk about marriage and divorce, you're already looking for the technicalities, for or against. Maybe some of you are like, how strong is he going to be on this? Some of you are like, how strong is he going to be on this, (laughs) right? And we're looking for those technicalities and and thinking about our information and our action. And you need to stop for a second and see that Jesus wants your inclination, your transformation. That's what he wanted for them. That's what he wants for you. So you need to think about them. Think about the context. But we need to think about ourselves as well. Why is Jesus talking about this? People distort This law, people work around this law, and he wants to capture our hearts. And so, this morning, if you have an inner defense attorney, which we all do, and some of you are thinking, I don't have an inner defense attorney. That's your inner defense attorney, right? (laughs) So all of us have this, right? All of us are going to get rubbed the wrong way a little bit with this. And you're going to, that inner defense attorney, like, well, Tim, what about this? Or you don't know my situation. You don't know what she did. You don't know what he did. And we're going to want to defend ourselves. What if we just read God's word and took it as is? That's what we're going to continue to do. So look at what Jesus says specifically on divorce. As he gets to the heart, he says, divorce is only limited to sexual immorality. Getting your breakfast burned is not a valid reason for divorce, right? Being unhappy, uh, being upset with somebody, not valid reasons. Jesus, look at the text. He says, divorce is only limited to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, that, that phrase is used a lot in Scripture. It's this word in the original language, porneia. It's sexual sin outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that. And Jesus is saying, that's that's the valid reason for divorce. But listen to me, he's not saying it's a command to get divorced if you've experienced that. It's not a command, it's a concession. That Jesus is not debating divorce in this moment. Ultimately, he's raising the bar of marriage. He's elevating marriage. 
And he makes a concession to say, hey, marriage is so important. It's a covenant. It's a lifelong commitment. But if there's this sin, this sexual immorality, he will allow a divorce, a concession for divorce. And he says, if you get divorced for any other reason and you remarry, God considers that relationship adulterous because he sees you as still married. This is what Jesus says. Now, anytime we look at difficult texts like this, we always want to interpret scripture with other scripture, right? We want to preach the full counsel of God's word. That's 66 books, 40 plus authors written over 1,500 years, all communicating the same truth. And so we have to navigate that. We have to actually study and wrestle with this. So I would encourage you guys to do that. But here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. But as we look further, there's nuances of this. There's things that are debated about this on both sides of the aisle. Christians on both sides, churches on both sides who debate the the nuances of this. So I want to give you a few pieces of information. Maybe some of you have looked into this. Maybe you've never looked into this, never wrestled with this, and you just think, well, I think what I think because of my tradition and my pappy and my professor and my pastor said, and you don't need to do that. You need to look at God's word. And so here's a few ways to do that. 1 Corinthians 7 is another place where God mentions divorce in our Bible through the Apostle Paul. He talks specifically about abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7, jot that down. Matthew 19, Jesus himself brings up marriage and divorce again further. And so we're going to hit that actually in a second in our time today. Uh, There's a book that's been really helpful in my life. You can jot this down as well. It's called uh, Divorce, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible. Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible. It's by a guy named J.E. Adams. Google that, get that on Amazon. It's been helpful to me, not just for this sermon, but as I've counseled people who've had difficult situations and wondered, what am I supposed to do? Should I pursue reconciliation? Is divorce okay? And that book has been a good resource for me. It's very uh, based on the Bible. And so those are some opportunities for you to go deeper into some of the nuances of this after we leave. Here's what I would say. Again, along the lines of grace and truth, let's continue this conversation after today. We're not going to hit it all, right? We're not going to probably give you every answer that you wanted about the technicalities. But what I would say is let's continue this conversation. So I'm going to stay down here at the front right after the service. Love to pray with you. Uh, Love to talk more about this with you. We'd love to do that in community groups during the week. We can continue this conversation in grace and truth. But those are some helpful places to look to study this further. What I would encourage you to do is wrestle with this. Wrestle with God's word, what he says about a really difficult subject. But here's what we're going to do is we're going to see why is this such a big deal? Why is God elevating marriage? Why is it such a big deal? Why is divorce such a big deal, such a hard subject? We're going to look at three things. The first thing is this that God created the covenant of marriage. Jesus says that. Again, I mentioned Matthew 19. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is approached by some Pharisees, and they say, hey, Jesus, when can somebody lawfully get a divorce? Again, they wanted to talk about the technicalities. Jesus goes right to the heart of marriage. He says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate it. Jesus is there, is there quoting Genesis. That's the beginning of our Bibles. And he's saying, hey, God created this institution of marriage. 
It's sacred. It existed before sin between a man and a woman. It's this really big deal where two people become one. What God has joined together, what God has created, let not man separate it. So why is marriage, why is divorce such a big deal? God created it. Jesus affirms that in Matthew 19, and he creates it as a covenant. A covenant is a promise, a commitment of love toward one another. And when I say love, I don't mean how our culture defines love. So we see love in the Bible, love and marriage, this covenant between one another, a spouse and another spouse. We're not talking about the kind of love that says, like, I love to dance, right? We're not talking about the kind of love that says, I love my Americano with two shots of espresso in the morning before I go to work kind of love. We're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about the kind of love we see demonstrated in Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 5 when it says that just at the right time, Christ died for us, even while we were still weak. It's the kind of love that says, I've seen the worst parts of you, and I still love you. It's the kind of love that says, even when you have nothing to give to me, while you're still weak, When you have nothing to give, I give my whole self to you. How do we know this? How do we know that's the definition of love? Jesus Christ. That's how he has loved us. When you rejected him, when you were indifferent to him, he came after you. He gave his life for you. Not because of some agreement or some prenups and here's what you're going to get and here's what you're going to give. Right? He gave him his all to us, and we have nothing to give, even while we were still weak, Romans 5 says. This is the covenant of love that God created from the very beginning. Friday night, I got to officiate a wedding, had the honor and privilege to do that for a couple in our church. They're an amazing couple, but what makes it even better is they are uh, Romeo and Juliet in the Arizona Ballet. It's too good to be true, right? It was just amazing, right? So we got to officiate their wedding on Friday night. It was an amazing wedding, an amazing time together. We actually joked in the ceremony, I, when I say we, I <laughs> joked in the ceremony that uh, I just kind of felt like in that moment we should be on a balcony right now and there should be families fighting in the background. I don't know why I felt like that, but just Romeo and Juliet, if you haven't seen the play, you should see that. But uh, it was this amazing wedding of Romeo and Juliet, a.k.a. Nye and Jill, in our church. And here's what we did in that wedding. Everybody got dressed nice, right? Uh, the guys even shaved, right? It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful wedding. And in the midst of that wedding, we're acknowledging this isn't just a day of a wedding. This is a commitment, a covenant for a lifetime of marriage. And I've said this before, a wedding is a wedding, a celebration, but it's also a funeral. Because the single you dies, right? And the two become one. And that sinful person meets this other sinful person, and they join their lives together. And as beautiful as that day was, and as much as everybody shaved and looked nice, and everything was pretty, and there was nice music, marriage is difficult, Marriage is difficult. And we talked about that and talked about the need for Jesus in marriage and the need for these biblical foundations in marriage and the need for love in marriage. 
Again, not pithy, trite love that's conditional, but the unconditional love that's not just horizontal, that's vertical, that we get from Jesus that now extends horizontally through marriage, that loves us on our best days and our worst days, that loves us when we're, we're pretty and we look nice and we smell nice, and that loves us in 30 years when maybe none of those things are true anymore. That's marriage. It's bigger than a wedding day. It's a covenant created by God. It's unconditional, so much so that we we say vows, like these were some of their vows on Friday night, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. That's marriage. This is what God created. This is why it's such a big deal to end that, to terminate that, to get divorced. The second reason why this is such a big deal to Jesus and it should be to us is divorce is painful. Matthew 19, we see that the result of marriage, not just the pursuit of marriage, is one flesh. Do you see the difference? If you're not married yet, what you should be pursuing in marriage is two becoming one, right? If you are married, what you should be constantly pursuing in marriage and cultivating is oneness, two becoming one. That's something you work on and pursue. But it's not just the pursuit of marriage. It's the result of marriage. This is what happens when when someone says and covenants to love someone for sick, for poor, and richness, and and health, and and the bad times and the good times. When someone says, I'm going to do that, I'm going to commit to do that with another person, and they covenant together. That's a covenant of of love. And and Jesus is going to amplify that when he says in Matthew 19 that you hold fast to your wife. Uh, That term, that phrase, hold fast, literally means to be glued together. And don't think Elmer's glue, right? Think like legit super glue, crazy glue, whatever kind of strong adhesive that glues two things together, right? God glue. For a lifetime. They're never coming apart, right? But maybe you've done this if you do construction at all, or maybe just around the house, you've glued two pieces of wood together, and you use the legit glue, not the Elmer's glue. And if you ever wanted to break those two pieces of wood apart, you have to tear them apart, fracture them. And then what happens? There's splinters on that wood, it's fractured. What was glued together so tightly has been broken apart. And if you've ever touched broken wood, there's jagged edges, splinters coming off of that. And it's damaging. It's damaging to you. If you leave it around with your kids or somebody else, it's going to be damaging to them. So is divorce. Because it's a covenant. It's two becoming one. This is what happens In marriage, you hold fast, you're glued together for a lifetime. You tear that apart, there's going to be splinters, there's going to be jagged edges. You're going to get hurt. Other people around you are going to get hurt. And sadly, and my heart breaks for some of you in this room, sadly, you don't need to read the Bible or know the original language of hold fast to know this. You just know this from life. You've experienced the deep wounds of divorce, so Jesus, in his grace, is going to say, don't go there. I'll give you this exception, but 
But I want to raise the bar. Marriage, stay in marriage. The two become one. This is lifelong. This is love. This is true love. Romeo and Juliet have nothing on this. And Jesus in his grace is going to say, this is a big deal because divorce is devastating. And he wants to save you from that devastation. The third reason why this is a big deal is marriage is bigger than you. Marriage is bigger than you. Ephesians 5 The Apostle Paul says marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Again, it's not just horizontal. This is a picture of a vertical relationship, the way Jesus has pursued us. That when the Bible, when God looked for a a metaphor to talk about our relationship with him vertically, he picked marriage. Do you see the significance of that? He could have picked friendship or employer to employee, but he picks marriage. Christ and the church joined together as one unconditional love that on your best day and on your worst day, Jesus loves you if you know him. That Jesus accepts you and that he wants to see that picture played out in marriage. And so it's bigger than us. So as we flippantly talk about divorce over irreconcilable differences or because we're unhappy, that's bigger than just this horizontal relationship. There's a vertical relationship that exists there. And it's the relationship between Christ and the church. And so marriage is a big deal. Why is Jesus talking about this? Why is it a little hard for us to hear? Because God created marriage. It's a covenant of love between two people because divorce is dangerous and devastating. And because marriage is God's chosen metaphor to resemble our relationship vertically with him. This is marriage. What Jesus is doing, Matthew 19, Matthew 5, he's not debating divorce. He's elevating marriage. And we would do well to soften our hearts, to see scripture, to see life, to see culture through the lenses of Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. So that's faithfulness in marriage. Let's move on to faithfulness in our words just briefly. Look at verse 33 with me. Verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. That was before hair dyes, clearly. Um, Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so briefly what's happening here is, again, the Pharisees that would have been listening in this day had twisted a law. The law we see in Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And they had twisted that, and they said, okay, well, we can't take the name of the Lord in vain, but we're going to take every other name possible. Jesus references a little bit right there. We'll swear by heaven. We'll swear by other things that are of power and significance, but we won't say the name of God, and then we're good, right? Remember, they have the information. They have the action. 
but they didn't have the inclination or the transformation. And so Jesus, again, takes us to that and takes us to the heart. He says, verse 34 through 36, look at those verses. He says, God is everywhere. He's in heaven on his throne. The earth is his footstool. Uh, He's even numbered the hairs on your head. He controls all of that. You don't. And so anytime you say anything, you are under the banner, under the reign of God. And so if you say, in the name of God, I swear by this, or if you don't, your words still matter. They're a promise kept before God because God's everywhere. And so God gets to the heart and he says simply what to do. Verse 37, simply say yes or no. Live with integrity, faithful in your commitments, faithful in your words. That's why marriage is such a big deal. It's why these two are intertwined with one another. Is that when we say, I love you, we actually follow that up with action. When we say, I do, we actually follow that commitment all the way through. But it's not just marriage commitments, it's any commitment in our life. Now, Jesus is not saying you can never take an oath. There are oaths in scripture. Oath is a weird word to say. Just say oath. Oath. You guys just don't do what I say. It's okay. Uh, I'll say the word, and it's weird to say, but it's a lot in Scripture. Jesus took an oath uh, right before he was executed. Uh, He's under trial by the high priest, and he took an oath. Oaths aren't bad. Again, Jesus is getting to the heart of people that would talk very eloquently, who would give some solemn-sounding promises with no intention of ever fulfilling it. That's what Jesus is getting at. Again, he's getting at the heart. Again, we should not be just thinking about this audience. We should be thinking about this audience, right? Not just the Pharisees who twisted this, but we who twist this, who say, I swear on my mother's grave. I mean, for reals this time. I mean, really this time. Like, I know I said some things before, but this time, like, I promise I'm not going to do this. You know when we say that, you know why Jesus is making this such a big deal? is because when we say that, just think about it. What we're saying is, I know I'm a normally big, fat liar, but this time I'm going to tell the truth, right? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, that's technicalities. I want you to let your yes be yes, your no be no. And if we're honest, we're scared of that. Not just the Pharisees, we're scared of that. We live in the FOMO generation. (laughs) Like fear of missing out, FOMO. If you didn't know that, now you know, right? The fear of missing out. So we always just say maybe, kind of, when it comes to commitment. In marriage and dating, we do this, right? We don't even say we're dating. We say what? We're just talking. Like talking about what? (laughs) Oh, I just, we're, we're, no, we're talking, like, like continuously? Well, yeah, no. And then you realize how dumb that is, right? I know when I was growing up, we would say, we're going together. And you're like, going where? Nowhere, usually, fast, right? And, and so we struggle with commitment, not just with marriage and dating, but with anything, with church. We say, well, it's good for now. I like the preaching. Worship is really good. It's connecting, good energies, good vibes. But we'll see. 
Maybe there'll be something better that comes along. And, and we're afraid of commitment, the fear of missing out. This is our generation. This is what we live in. People ask you to do something. Like, Maybe we'll see what else comes up. Like, hopefully you don't actually say that to a friend. But you think that, right? We struggle with our words. And so again, Jesus isn't just talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to you and me. He says, have integrity with your words. Say what you mean, do what you say. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Be faithful in marriage, be faithful in your words. And so what do we do with this, right? That's a lot. As we circle back towards marriage and divorce, that's a heavy, hard subject. As we mentioned, what do we do with this? I want to give you three things. One, if you are currently married, fight for your marriage, If you're currently married, fight for your marriage. And maybe you're thinking, well, Tim, our marriage is great right now and fantastic. God bless. That's amazing. But still fight for it. Like date your spouse. Pursue, cultivate oneness that you already have as a result of marriage, but pursue it. Invest in that. Sacrifice other things for your marriage. Make it a priority, not above Jesus, but pretty close under Jesus. Fight for your marriage. Pursue reconciliation. Cultivate oneness. If you are single, prepare for marriage. Right? Don't just talk. Don't just hang out, right? The, the dating is like a path. And it's a path to a promise. And that promise is to a lifetime of pursuit, right? That people who are married for 50 years, they started on a path a long time ago. And they dated or they courted or whatever word you want to give it. They started that path and it was leading to a promise, a covenant of marriage that led to a lifetime pursuit of marriage, right? And so if you're single in this room, I know it's hard, and I know it's weird, and I know it's awkward, and, and, and it's a lot of just how we navigate this. But listen, don't sacrifice. Like, don't just look at the external. Look at the internal. Think about that lifetime of pursuit. Think about that path that's leading to a promise. I, the, the biggest win of today in our culture today is if we could have more people get married on the foundations of what Jesus is saying in this text so we never have to deal with divorce. So you as a single person, as dating, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's lonely. But look at it this way. You have everything before you. And you can enter into this in grace and truth according to Jesus, according to his words, And you can experience, yes, the difficulty of marriage, but also the joys. And nothing's foolproof, but go down a path that leads to a promise, that leads to a lifetime of pursuit. Do that with wise counsel. Do that with God's word. And again, do that with an intentionality with that other person. If you are divorced, lastly, or affected by divorce, your parents were divorced, your friends have been divorced, You're thinking about divorce now. If this is affecting you today, and there's shame and there's guilt, what I would say to you is that the same Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is also in John chapter 8. Again, go look that up on your own. The same Jesus that's full of grace and truth. 
in Matthew chapter 5 who says these words about marriage and adultery and divorce. That same Jesus, full of grace and truth, he does not change, amen? He's also in John chapter 8 where the woman is caught in adultery. And if you don't know the story, people are ready to stone her. And Jesus comes along and he says, which one of you is without sin? You pick up the first stone and you throw it. All of a sudden, nobody had any stones to throw. No, instead, they began to depart one by one from this woman who was just caught in adultery. You see, because just like divorce, in whatever context, for whatever purpose, is not the sin, but a sin, just like any sin of pride, lust, greed, is not the sin, but a sin, Listen, I know you may feel like it's the sin. Maybe even in this moment, you feel like it's the sin. Like everybody's looking at me right now because they know I've been divorced. I've committed adultery. And you feel like it's the sin. This woman probably felt like it was the sin, not a sin. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, I know some other of you have sinned as well. Maybe not her sin that you're willing to throw rocks at right now. But you have your own sin, and Jesus is going to say, if you don't have that, then you pick up, you throw a rock, but everybody has that. Whether you've been divorced, committed adultery, or just said a lie. It's it's not the sin, it's a sin. You need to hear that this morning. And so what Jesus does in that moment, it's really beautiful. It comes back full circle to this grace and truth. As he says to the woman, so who condemns you? And she says, Well, no one. No one's here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The same Jesus in Matthew 5 is in John chapter 8. He doesn't condone the sin. He says, go and sin no more. Leave this behind. Don't go back to this. Go and sin no more. He doesn't condone it, but he also doesn't condemn her, and he doesn't condemn you, that his grace, his truth is sufficient for you, even you. And so listen, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are with marriage, divorce, or even words, but I know God's grace and God's truth is sufficient for you too. Romans 8 says, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation, but you need to be in Christ. And maybe some of you this morning, this has just stirred up some things, and you're not sure. Do you have this kind of security? I mean, there's a guilt and shame that just overcomes you. And you think, maybe, I mean, I go to church, I mean, I've done some good things, and maybe that'll just clear the debt. And you need to know it won't. You need to be in Christ. You need to put on his flesh, on his spirit, be saved from your sin from the condemnation that is awaiting to you if you don't trust in Jesus. And that if you just do that today, if you put your trust in Jesus, if you give him your sin, your sin of adultery, of divorce, of lies, of greed, of pride, if you give him that sin, he forgives you, he accepts you, and he loves you. And some of you need to do that this morning so you can know this amazing truth that there is no condemnation for you. And so, so where do we go from here? Again, I'll be at the front after the service. I'd love to pray with you. 
I'd love to talk more with you. I'd love to continue this conversation with you. It's a hard subject, right? But there's grace and there's truth in Jesus. And so let's celebrate that. Let's repent where we need to repent. Some of us need to do that this morning before we take communion in a moment. But let's celebrate the Jesus who came, who died, who gave himself for us when we had nothing to give to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women who you have brought here. It's no accident. Some of them are very uncomfortable right now. But you brought him, them here to feel that uncomfortableness, to drive them to you, to find your comfort that we already talked about, 2 Corinthians 1, that you comfort us in our affliction so that we might comfort others. And, and, and maybe this morning there's some people who need to be comforted. Uh, there's some people in here who have parents who are divorced, and, and they do. Every life event, every holiday, this hits home. And maybe some people in here need to pray with one another. And God, I just pray that you would lead them to do that. I pray that any, any just information and action that would distort our inclination, our transformation that you want us to experience, God, you would just remove that this morning. And you would allow us to experience your grace and truth, even in marriage, even in our words, even in other difficult areas of our life that we would see your grace, your truth is there meeting us where we are, that you are for us, with us, and within us if we know Jesus. It's his name that we pray in. Amen.